0: And midnight,' said Miss Laura. "'Do please, for friendship's sake, come into the hotel with me, "'and let us take a glass of wine and a piece of cake together before we part.' "'I've sworn an oath never to drink wine again, "'and anyway, I think it might be dangerous. "'But the place is so lonely "'that you could easily escape into the bush if there was danger. "'And besides, nobody will know you without your handkerchief over your face,' "'They will think you're my brother.' "'Oh!' "'Very well,' said Midnight, "'and he left Red Ned to graze in the bush "'and went on leading Miss Laura's mare to the hotel. "'It was a long, white, one-storied building "'with a veranda all around "'and flowers and plants in pots on the veranda, "'a nice place for the country mail coaches "'to stop on a hot summer day. "'Are you coming in, Cat?' asked Miss Laura. No, said Cat thoughtfully. I think I shall wait outside, just in case. And he hid himself under the veranda, where he could hear what people said in the hotel. Why, said Miss Laura, I don't believe Cat trusts me. Please don't think that, Miss Wellborn, said Midnight. We all trust you very much, which made Miss Laura laugh to herself in a peculiar manner. When they were sitting in the cool parlour of the hotel, the landlord came to see what they would like to have, and Miss Laura smiled so sweetly that he was quite confused by her beauty, and she said that they would have tea, as her brother had sworn an oath never to drink wine again. The landlord laughed and said that the young gentleman was very wise, but that he was glad that not many young gentlemen swore that oath, or the world would be a hard place for landlords. As the landlord was going away, Miss Laura leaned over the back of a chair and said, "'Oh, and let us have a little seed cake, if you please?' She touched the landlord's hand with her hand as she spoke, and he looked surprised and hesitated for a moment before he went out. Midnight noticed this, and he hardly knew what to think. He did not say anything at first, but he took his pistol out of his coat "'and laid it on the table in front of him. "'Goodness,' said Miss Laura, "'whatever is that for?' "'Miss Wellborn, I'm not going to say that I don't trust you, "'but just in case you gave the landlord a note "'when you touched him then, I am prepared.' "'How suspicious you are,' said Miss Laura gaily, "'but she blushed just a trifle. "'Midnight kept his eyes on the door "'and his hand on his pistol.' The first trooper who comes in is a dead man. But nobody did come until five minutes later, and then it was only a young Irish maid with the tea things on a tray. Midnight slid the hand holding his pistol under the table and watched the maid very carefully in case she might be Trooper O'Grady in disguise. But she had hardly any whiskers, and she did nothing except set the things out and then go away again. Come, said Miss Laura, drink your tea for this is the last meal we shall have together and it ought to be a pleasant one. The cup and saucer were placed before midnight. Still holding the pistol in his left hand he lifted the cup. He drank one sip and he laughed. He drank a second sip and he cried. He drank a third sip and he fell fast asleep. When he woke up He was back in the great grey jail by the sea and Trooper O'Grady was picking his pockets and washing his face with a kind of scent called eau de cologne which is very good for headaches. When midnight felt a little better Trooper O'Grady explained to him that Miss Laura had given the landlord of the Zamia Creek Hotel a note saying that midnight was midnight and that he'd kidnapped her and so when the landlord made the tea he had put a great deal of medicine into it which had made Midnight go to sleep for hours and hours. As soon as Midnight heard that Miss Laura had betrayed him, he became so miserable that he would not speak to anybody, not even to Trooper O'Grady, his best human friend. They walked to the court, and all the ladies were waiting and cheering as usual, but Midnight did not wave to them or even look at them. He felt so bitter about ladies. He did not even look at Judge Pepper when they reached the dock, although the judge, as usual, turned an interesting purple colour when he saw them. What, 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 what? You two again? It's not my fault that whenever you see me I'm handcuffed at midnight, said the trooper. Objection overruled. Enough of these extenuations. Before I pass sentence on the prisoner, are there any charges against him? Yes. He's charged with kidnapping Miss Laura Wellborn and making her down his socks and sew buttons on his shirt. What? cried Midnight. His shirt? cried the judge. Prisoner at the bar, have you only got one shirt? I've got two shirts, but Miss Wellborn has never sewed any buttons on them or darned my socks either. She was a great deal too disagreeable for that. And I did not kidnap her. She came and found me. A likely fabrication. (laughs) Miss Laura Wellborn states that she was kidnapped in a desperate and fascinating manner by the prisoner and chained up in a cave, said O'Grady, and that the prisoner made a slave of her, and that he was always trying to kiss her, and that she's never had such a romantic adventure in her whole life. That is not true. Look at my shirt. It's hardly got a button on it, and my socks are full of holes. Guilty, roared the judge. Your socks are immaterial and a tissue of lies. You are sentenced to ninety-nine years in the great grey jail for bushranging a young lady. And let this be a lesson to you if you ever are tempted again. Well, said Midnight, I shall say goodbye, Your Honour, because I don't think that we shall ever meet again. We had better not or I will sentence you to be hanged by the neck until you are dead. Take him away. Trooper O'Grady took Midnight's hand, and for the last time they walked from the court. Outside the court was a sumptuous carriage in which sat the governor and his lady. Captain Midnight, called the governor, I should like to speak to you for a moment. Certainly, Your Excellency, said Midnight, going to the carriage and dragging Trooper O'Grady after him by the handcuffs. I have had a telegram from Her Majesty. It has come by carrier pigeon from a telegraph office in Java. I think that you should read it. Midnight took the telegram, and this is what he read. Feelings of horror and outrage! exclamation mark! Liberties taken by Captain Midnight with our loyal and ladylike subject, Miss Laura Wellborn, beyond forgiveness. Stop! If Midnight escapes again, we shall come and govern Colony ourself. Victoria Ah! It's a very cross telegram, said Midnight to the Governor. "'Very cross indeed, and that is why we've had built for you a rather special cell, "'and we hope that you'll be comfortable in it for the next ninety-nine years. "'I do not expect to be there for so long, but thank you for thinking of my comfort. "'I should not count on escaping this time if I were you. "'In fact, I'm ready to make a bet with you. "'If you do escape, then you've won the bet, and you can stay free.' "'Done,' said Midnight.' ...shaking the governor's hand. Well, midnight, dear old chap, said Trooper O'Grady. Come and see your new cell... ...and tell me what you think of your chances of winning that bet. When midnight had walked through all the echoing, groaning, clanking, clanging corridors of the jail... ...and had come to his special cell... His heart sank, and for the first time he wondered whether perhaps he really was going to stay in prison for ninety-nine years. The floor was of solid rock. The iron bars were as thick as small trees, and the stone walls were hidden behind great beams of very hard wood called jarrah, studded with huge iron bolts. Midnight sat down on his bed and stared all round and he just could not see how Cat was going to rescue him this time. "'I don't think my chances are very good,' he said sadly to O'Grady. "'But I do not despair.' "'That's the spirit,' said the trooper, clapping him on the shoulder. "'And I shall come to see you on Sunday, so I have something to look forward to.' Then O'Grady went out and locked the door, and barred and chained and bolted and pushed a wardrobe against it, and his footsteps went away down the grey echoing corridors. Days went by, and midnight became more and more miserable. That was when he wrote his famous life story for the newspapers, in which he said that he'd been captured three times, and the three causes of his being captured were wine, woman and song. Of course, in his life story, he did not say anything about his gang, or about the Hidden Valley. He did not know then whether the hidden valley had been discovered or not, and he did not find out until Sunday arrived and Mrs. Chiffle came to visit him. Mrs. Chiffle had got a special hat for the occasion, all covered with dahlias, and she brought Midnight a hamper of marvelous food, which he was glad to have, after the warder had taken all the files and rope ladders out of it. Mrs. Chiffle said that she was shocked and surprised by Miss Laura's behaviour and she hoped that Midnight had not suffered too much. Not too much? Tell me, ma'am, what is Miss Wellborn doing now? She stays in her room all day and cries. Why? She is ashamed, because she betrayed you. Is she really? said Midnight, puzzled. Then he asked Mrs Chiffle if Miss Laura had told the troopers about the Hidden Valley. Mrs Chiffle explained to Midnight that when he was captured at the Zamia Creek Hotel, Miss Laura had been very excited, and that was why she'd made up the stories about Midnight kidnapping her and keeping her in chains and trying to kiss her all the time. She had told these stories because she wanted all the ladies in the colony to think that she had had a very romantic adventure. But afterwards, when she remembered how kind and good-natured Midnight was, and how often she'd hurt his feelings with her disagreeableness and long words. She was sorry for what she'd said. So when the troopers asked her about the Hidden Valley, she said that she had no idea where it was, as Midnight had always tied a blindfold over her eyes, but that she thought it was south of Zamia Creek. That was quite the wrong direction, and by telling this story, Miss Laura had kept the troopers out of the way for nearly a week, in the hope that Midnight would escape. It cheered Midnight up tremendously to hear that Miss Laura was now telling stories for him, instead of against him. And although he never told stories himself, he forgave her, because she was a young lady. After Mrs Chiffle had left him, he opened his autobiography and crossed out a line which said, ''A false woman is the fearsomest foe of man.'' Before long, he had another Sunday visitor, which was Trooper O'Grady, shuffling a pack of cards. The trooper had brought Midnight a box of cigars and a small bottle of whisky to go in his hip pocket. But as Midnight did not drink whisky, because he'd sworn an oath, and did not smoke cigars in case they made his teeth turn yellow, O'Grady drank and smoked all his presents while he was visiting. He also persuaded Midnight to play a card game for money. And in five minutes, O'Grady had won all the money that Midnight kept hidden in his socks for fear of pickpockets and had taught him to play for I.O.U.'s instead. The I.O.U.'s were pieces of paper on which Midnight wrote that he would pay Trooper O'Grady such and such a sum as soon as he had it. In this way, O'Grady won nearly one million pounds. So Midnight swore a new oath that he would never again play cards for money and he wrote this in his life story beside his other oaths about drinking drink and going into hotels. And the time went by, and soon midnight had been in prison for ten days. He'd never in his life expected to spend such a long time in jail, and he'd almost given up hope of being rescued. But one evening, when the warder brought him his supper, he noticed that something crept in through the open door behind the warder, and soon afterwards he saw two red eyes looking at him from a dark corner. Midnight said to himself, ''What has red eyes when it looks at you from a dark corner?'' And he answered himself, ''A Siamese cat!'' He was so excited that he almost cheered when he thought this, but he held the cheer in until the water had gone, and then he let it out loud and long. ''Hush, my dear Midnight!'' said Cat, but he said it fondly because he was very pleased indeed to see Midnight again. There is a plan afoot, and we have not a minute to lose. Oh, good for you, Cat. I was afraid I really should be here for ninety-nine years. You ought to have had more faith in me. Now there are two jobs for you to do. First, look out of the window and tell me if you see anything interesting in the sky. Midnight looked out between the bars, and after a while he said, There's something that looks like a burning stick flying through the air. Good! It is major, and our plan is going well. Next, wrap yourself up in your blanket and crawl under the bed. Why? Don't ask questions. Quick, we are in danger. So Midnight wrapped himself up and crawled under the bed. And when he and Cat were lying there in the dark, he said, Now, tell me the plan. It is a long story, but the short of it is that Major has been building a nest between the walls of your cell. But why should Major build a nest? Major's a boy, isn't he? He's not going to lay an egg, is he? I shall take no notice of your stupider questions. As you know, cockatoos usually build their nests of grass and leaves and stuff, which is not hard. But this nest of majors is very big and peculiar and different, and that is why we've been so long rescuing you. Well, if his nest is not made of grass and leaves and stuff, what is it made of? Gunpowder! Just then, something went kaboom, and the outside wall of the cell blew up. After the rocks and beams had finished falling, Midnight and Cat dug their way out from under the bed and ran through a huge hole in the wall to where Red Ned and Jip and Major were waiting. Bravo, Major! cried Midnight, as he and Cat sprang onto Red Ned's back. Then they all galloped away together through the dark, dark bush. When they had galloped for miles and miles and had come to the hills, Midnight said to Cat, ''I don't think we need to ride so hard, because the governor has made a bet with me that if I escaped this time, I could go free forever.'' ''Do you trust the governor?'' asked Cat. ''Yes, of course,'' said Midnight. ''He's a gentleman.'' ''He is a public gentleman.'' and public gentlemen are the last people in the world that you should trust. I think you're unkind, Cat. I think I'm sensible, said Cat, and as it turned out, so he was. For the governor had got nervous, and had told the police that if Midnight escaped again, they were to recapture him at any cost. And when the sun rose among the hills, who should Midnight see but O'Grady, riding at the head of a party of troopers?' Hello, Midnight, called O'Grady, spurring his horse forward. Wait a bit. No fear, said Midnight, laughing, and he galloped away as fast as Red Ned could go. Midnight was a very, very good rider, and at first he quite enjoyed the chase in the fresh morning air. As he raced along, he listened to the warbling butcher birds and the laughing kookaburras in the bush, and looked at the lovely sunrise that was turning the tips of the gum leaves pink on all the hills, and he thought to himself how preposterously splendid it was to be a free man on such a day. But Red Ned was tired after coming all the way from the jail, and the troopers' horses were fresh, and before long they were hardly the length of a cricket pitch behind Midnight. "'Surrender, Midnight!' called O'Grady. "'We're ten to one!' But Midnight only laughed and sang over his shoulder at the top of his voice. ''I'll fight, but never surrender,'' said the wild colonial boy. ''I'll shoot your hat off,'' shouted O'Grady. And as he spoke, a bullet went through Midnight's hat. But the hat did not fall off, and O'Grady said a bad word. ''I'll shoot it off this time,'' swore O'Grady, and a second bullet went through the hat, and it spun to the ground. Never mind, I shall have another hat in one minute, called Midnight. And he was right. One minute was all the time it took for Major to swoop down on O'Grady and Bushrange his hat and drop it on Midnight's head as Red Ned sped along. You can have my hat now, offered Midnight. I'm sorry, it's got bullet holes in it. O'Grady said a very bad word that Midnight had never heard before. But he did not shoot at Midnight's hat again, because it was his hat, and he hoped to get it back. ''Midnight,'' said Cat from the saddle in front of Midnight. ''They are coming awfully close.'' ''You can't win, Midnight,'' shouted O'Grady. ''We're going to hedge off and take you back to jail.'' ''Red Ned!'' ''Red Ned!'' cried Midnight, looking back at the galloping troopers. ''Unless you save me, I may be hanged by the neck until I'm dead.'' The words were hardly out of his mouth when O'Grady's horse shot ahead of Red Ned and wheeled to cut him off. But Red Ned swerved to the right, and calling up all his strength and all his noble-mindedness, he raced towards the brink of a narrow ravine. Midnight, cried Trooper O'Grady, come back, you'll fall into the ravine and be killed, and I couldn't bear it. Red Ned, be careful, whispered Midnight, who was very worried. Midnight, sobbed Trooper O'Grady, don't be killed. You're my only friend, Midnight, and what shall I do without you? Red Ned, whispered Midnight, patting Red Ned's neck. I trust you. And at that moment, Red Ned reached the brink of the ravine and gathered all his muscles together in one tremendous leap and sailed like a bird through the empty air to land safe on the other side. When Midnight looked back, All the troopers had pulled up at the edge of the ravine and were looking nervously into the emptiness below. All the troopers, that is, except O'Grady, who was clapping and cheering. He was so glad that Midnight was safe and so proud of him. Midnight raised Trooper O'Grady's hat politely to Trooper O'Grady and waved and rode away. And ever since that day, the place at the edge of the ravine has been called Midnight's Leap. But I think it ought to be called Red Ned's Leap. After all, it was Red Ned who did the leaping. When Midnight's gang reached the Hidden Valley at last, they were all very tired. Midnight and Cat were tired from riding, and Red Ned was tired from flying and being blown up in the explosion at the jail, which had gone off sooner than he had expected. But the tiredest one of all was poor Jip, who could not leap or fly across ravines like Red Ned and Major, and it had to go right down to the bottom, and then come right up again, after running nearly all the way from the prison. Dora had been terribly worried about them, for they had not been home for twelve days, and when she saw Midnight, she was so pleased that she galumped up and kissed him all over with her rough tongue, and wanted to play bullfighter straight away. But Midnight was so weary that he went into the cave and lay on his sheepskin and fell asleep, hardly noticing the thunderstorm that was going on outside. When he woke up late in the afternoon, Cat said, We have had a stroke of luck. There has been heavy rain, and if we have left any tracks, they are washed away now. We are safe for a little while. Do you think we can stay here? asked Midnight. No, I don't. And by the way, what do you think of the governor now? You won your bet, and he sent the troopers after you. I've sworn an oath, said Midnight sadly, never to make bets again. Good, and if you do make another bet, watch out for people like the governor. There is a name for people like that, and if you meet him again, you should tell him that he's a dirty, rotten Welsher. I could not say that to a public gentleman but I shall remember the name. It is good to live and learn. And now let us talk of more serious matters. Then Cat told Midnight his plan. He said that they must leave the Hidden Valley that very night in case the trackers should find their way there or Miss Laura Wellborn should betray them and set out for the Never Never Desert. They should take another horse besides Red Ned to be their pack horse. And Midnight should make sheepskin boots for the horses, so that they would leave no tracks. And Midnight himself, Cat said, should put on a disguise to look as much as possible like an explorer, if anyone should ask him who he was. All that afternoon, Midnight worked at making the sheepskin boots for the horses, and at making himself a beard out of the curly ends of cow's tails. When it was finished and glued on, he looked much older, and very like an explorer, and Kat said that he was funny, but almost handsome. As soon as it was dark, Midnight's gang ate their last meal in the secret hideout, and said goodbye most affectionately to Dora and her calf, and rode away, for they did not know how long, through the gate of the Hidden Valley.